And even though he was a younger brother, and in that culture, it was important to be the older brother because you got the best blessing and you got the best part of the inheritance and all the good stuff of the older brother. We know that even before Jacob's birth, that God had predicted that he would be the child of promise and he would be the one to carry on his family line. We also know from the lessons that we've had before that Jacob had some character issues. He was a liar. He liked to cheat. And it caused him some major issues in life, and we're going to see some of those coming to fruit in today's story. In fact, right when he should have been mourning his father's death and enjoying his wealth and his blessing of his ill-gotten gains, he was actually on the run for his life because he had gained his status through cheating and through lying. In this week's story, we're going to see a lot of that stuff come to head. And, and I'm telling you, with this week's story, and actually we're going to use it for part of next week's sermon in two, modern reality series have nothing on the life of Jacob. I mean, there's a lot of intrigue, and, and this story kind of takes the cake again as far as just some of the crazy things that happen. And you think reality shows have it going on? This is quite a crazy story, so move on over Housewives in New Jersey. Jacob and his wives are in the house with their sister wives program. At this point, Jacob is 76 years old, and he's on the run, and he's homeless, and he has no wife, and he has no kids. I just want to warn you before we read the scripture here, you can't look at this story through modern lenses because it has some lessons that still apply to us today, but there's some stuff that maybe we can't relate to culturally. Thus, but we do have a lot of lessons that, that will go through all of time, even if some of the cultural norms are not relevant to us today. And thus we have the subtitle, Unexpected Lessons. Genesis 29, if you have your Bible, I'll be reading from the NIV. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. He'd been told by his mother, run for your life, your brother's out to get you, and if you go to my folks who are over in Kadamkaran, you're going to find a, a safe place with my family. So go run to the east and be with my family. There he saw a well in the open country with three, three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone of, over the mouth of the well was large. One version I read said it was huge. It was a massive stone. It was huge. When all of the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return to the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. You see, water was a luxury back then. They were in a desert country, and it was to be protected. And this was a huge stone that protected the water source there. There were wars, there were treaties, there were family feuds over wells. Wells were very important things to be protected. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We are from here, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. <laughs> now you notice throughout the whole Jacob story, Jacob is kind of bossy. He has suggestions for a better way to do things. He even tells God of better ways to do things because he's got to handle it. And here he is running into complete strangers, telling them how they need to run their business. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied. And so all the flocks are gathered, and the huge stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. 
while he was still talking with them, Rachel came, oh, I'm sorry, Rachel came, with her father's sheep, where she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the huge stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. I'm going to take a little pause here in the scripture reading. No, it's like this is this guy's not a young pup. He's not 20 years old. He's a 76-year-old man, and suddenly he becomes like incredible hope. And this huge stone that all of the guys didn't want to roll away without everybody being there to help, he suddenly can roll away by himself. He, he channels his brother Esau, who's the big hairy hunter, he man, and decides he's going to roll the huge stone away. It 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 reminds me a little bit of when we first got married. <laughs> you know, wives are really good at, at trying to like help their husbands and, and, and say things like, honey, are you sure you should do that? Don't you need a little bit more rest? Here, eat something healthy. Um, um, you know, you're a little sick. Are you sure you should go to work today? Those kinds of things we try to be, be helpful. And, and by the way, statistically married men do live longer, thanks to women like us who say that. <laughs> Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. 
When the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel that night. Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. You know the story's going to get worse from here. But we're going to take a pause here, and we're going to learn a few things from the life of Jacob and things about God at this point. You know, we see a lot of pretending and a lot of posing and a lot of lack of authenticity in this whole Jacob story. And I picked out some pictures that I thought would kind of humorously depict some of the, some of the posing and the selfies that were going on in this story. First of all, we see that Joe, Jacob had posed as a kindly good helper to his brother Esau. He gave him a bowl of soup when his brother was famished to the point of death. But all along, he had not sneaked in, had an ulterior motive to get Esau at a moment of weakness to trade his whole inheritance for a simple bowl of soup. Early in the stories we heard before, Jacob had posed as his brother Esau by wearing his clothes and making himself seem like a hairy, like his hairy brother to trick his father into giving him Esau's blessing because his father was quite blind by that point. So he tricked him. And I, I, when I saw this picture, I was just looking at that and the angle of it, and I was just thinking of Jacob saying, Hey, Ma, get a picture over here from my hairy side. My brother is never going to believe what we did today. <laughs> in the story that we read today, Jacob sloughed off his master chef because he loved the kitchen and channeled his inner Esau and posed his muscle man when he moved a huge stone to impress Rachel. Laban in this story poses the kindly helping uncle who just wanted to help his poor homeless nephew out. And you probably can't read the caption on there, but it says, hey, you want a job, hey? <laughs> Alrighty. And Leah poses Rachel on her wedding night to get <laughs> We often present a picture to the world that aren't true selfies. just lost it on the front You know, we often present pictures of ourselves to the world that aren't true. Selfies are typically us doing fun things with fun people, making beautiful faces with our hair and makeup immaculately in place with heavy filters. Living the dream. If you haven't seen this video yet, I'm not going to play it for you here, but you ought to check it out online. It's a group of girls who throughout the entire baseball game are taking selfies of themselves with different pictures. And it's, it's hilarious. They're eating hot dogs and then pretzels and then churros. And then the whole game are taking pictures and the commentators are commenting. <laughs> but, but how many know that nightlife is not all about always doing fun things with beautiful people in great situations? The heavy filters that we put on our pictures aren't always a reflection of reality. And we often find us comparing our real selves and our real lives to other people's filtered selfies and their perfect lives that they present on social media and at the workplace and at the places we go and we think, how we don't measure up. And our life isn't as grand, it's not as beautiful, we feel like we're a failure because we don't measure up. Which leads me to my first point. Selfies don't always represent authenticity. 
dangerous as we compare ourselves to other people and we feel like we don't measure up and we have this sense of loss and this sense of grief because our lives aren't perfect. But sometimes it can be even more dangerous, like in the case, I suppose, of Jacob, when he began to believe his own selfie. And we begin to fool ourselves, just like we think we fooled others. And worse yet, we believe that we have maybe fooled God. And if we don't begin to look at ourselves authentically, then we're going to find ourselves in trouble. If we don't begin to look at ourselves for who we all are, with our good stuff and our faults and our failures, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, then we can find ourselves in trouble. Jacob found himself on the run for his life from Esau. Leah was stuck in a very unhappy marriage. We'll talk about that more next week. And she was an unloved woman. In later stories, we even find old Uncle Laban very miserable. Because what goes around comes around. And his family literally snuck away in the middle of the night to get away from him. And they took away his children, his grandchildren, his household treasures, part of his flocks, anything just to get away from this man. I think it's really important to note that we have to have a level of authenticity in our relationship with others and our relationship with God. Because putting on a front and putting on a, a selfie for the world, while that may be all good on Facebook, it's not really where we live. And we really need to find an authentic relationship with God and some trusted people so that we can continue to grow and we don't live a life in misery. Don't spend your life posing as somebody you're not or wishing you were them. Because let me know, let me let you know that sin does have a payday. It's a sobering thought. In this story, we see a really powerful example of Jacob. He was known as a liar and a cheat. In fact, his name means heel catcher, which means he was grabbing on and trying to grab things that were not his own. And he was being cheated on and lied to and stolen from. The very things that he had been doing to other people all throughout the course of his life. Again, what goes around comes around. And it came around to him when he saw Laban saying, hey, I'll take seven years of the labor from you and I'll give you the wrong girl. And then I'll ask you to do seven more just to keep the original promise that I made you. Sin has payday. You may go along life thinking about you've gotten by with stuff. Putting a glossy picture on it, a glossy image and thinking everything's okay. Well, there is a time when our sinfulness comes back to us and we come home to roost. Let me, let me just say a, a side remark about, about Laban. You know, he looked all good and, hey, you want a job here? Yes, I'll help you. I'll do anything I can. But let me just say a little side note here that everyone that is good to you is not good for you. There are people who will lure you in, who will make all kinds of promises and say all kinds of things to you and lead you off a path that you know you should be on. But they're not good for you. And they're going to lead you to some places that you don't want to go. And they're going to take you on parts of the journey that you don't want to go on. You know, for me, one of the, everybody has different things that they're concerned about, the happy things, the sad things, whatever. But one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible to me is Matthew 23, 12. It says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I'm not one who particularly likes public humiliation. And the way that I preach that one to myself is, Mel, you better humble yourself or you're going to be humbled. And you better find yourself a place where you're willing to deal with the things in your life that aren't pretty, that aren't filtered, that aren't lovely, that are actually sin. Because you can be humbled if you're not careful. And Jacob found himself in a situation where he had gone on thinking life was grand. 
thinking he'd gotten by with things, and yet here he was humbled by his own religion. You know, as I was thinking through my uh, notes yesterday and thinking through this, I thought, well, the first lesson is a lesson a little bit more about Jacob, the authenticity, the point about authenticity. But the next two points I'm going to make, including this one, is a lesson about God. You see, when you sin, God will allow the consequences of sin to catch up with you. It's not his desire, but it's the law of sowing and reaping. Yes, we're heading toward an eternal reward, heaven or hell. We have that to face someday. But we often find ourselves facing the consequences of sin even here on earth. You know, uh, many years ago when I was first starting my career, my degrees in social work, and I was helping a small community church in, in rural Indiana to be able to uh, to be able to start a social service ministry. And one of the things that we did is we started ministry for, for um, alcoholics and for drug addicts, and we had weekly meetings. And there was a man who was at the center of that ministry, and he had, had, he had been a drug dealer in that area. And it was a pretty sweet place to be a drug dealer because there was no police except for there was one police in the entire county, and it was a huge rural county, so he wasn't really likely to get caught. But he was so audacious. I mean, people were driving all over from the city to this little rural place to make sure he was for drugs because they knew that they would not be caught. And and so uh, the police finally, he got so audacious that they arrested him and set him to trial. And, and in the course of that, he found Jesus. And God made a powerful, powerful turnaround in his life and a neat testimony. And when it came time for his court date, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for him that he would get out of it. But you know what? Sometimes even after you become a Christian, the consequences of life catch up with you. And he had to go to jail and he had to serve his time. But it was amazing because of the difference that Christ made in his life. He actually started the same ministry that we had started in his community. He started from his jail cell and he began to do amazing recovery groups in the jail. And God used his life even in that situation. But sometimes our sin will come to find us even after we're a Christian. You know, but when my kids were little, we used timeouts a lot. We used SWAT some, but we also used timeouts a lot. And, and, and I would just give my kids great choices about whether or not they were going to do things because they say it's good to give choices. So I would give them this great choice. You can obey me or you can suffer the consequences and get a timeout. <laughs> that, that, that was pretty much the choice. The choice they had for them. <laughs> Some of the kids don't like that. But we use that word consequences so much because I really wanted my kids, even from a very little age, before they could really understand the concept, to, to really get the idea that when you do something, something will follow. It could be something good or it could be something bad, depending on what you were doing. And I remember Natalie, as a little bit girl, she couldn't say her S's correctly, and I would hear her say to her friends or to her siblings when something was brewing.
from the consequences of our sin, but yet it's sowing and reaping. It has a consequence. And you know, sometimes in our era, we have an era of grace, and it's a powerful thing, and it's been a great revelation in my life, but we don't always like to deal with scriptures like the wages of sin is death. The big sins, the little sins, the in-between sins, the wages of sin is death. We don't like to deal with that. It's a difficult thing. Or there's another scripture that says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God will not be mocked, Jacob. God will not be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. It sounds so intolerant to our modern ears. But we don't get to make a fool's Reaping and sowing is a fact of life. We don't get a choice about it. You know, there's an old story, a story of a builder. Uh, actually, a man who hired a builder. And he was a very wealthy man, and the builder had worked for him, worked for him for many years and was getting ready to retire. Some of you have heard the story. And so the man says to his builder, he said, I want you to build one last house for me before you retire. And he had great specs for it. I mean, it was going to be an awesome house. It was full of details. It was full of amazing things. Everything that you could ever want in a dream house was right there in this beautiful house. And the big deal, the builder began building it, but he got a little tired of it. And he said, I'm going to tell the boss and everyone, I'm going to take a shortcut here. I'm going to take a little shortcut here, and it'll look all the same, but it won't quite be right. And so he took lots of shortcuts, so the house looked great, but inside there was lots of faults and lots of flaws because it wasn't quite right because he wanted to take shortcuts. Some of you have already guessed the end of the story. The builder says to him, thank you for getting this done, and thank you for your years of service, and for all that you've done for me. This is your house. If you don't retire on the present, this is what you get to live in. There are times when we get to live in the house of our own building. I think we need to take that, not lightly, but soberly, and understand that sin has a payday. Like Jacob, we can find ourselves reaping the consequences of our sinfulness. Some of us need to hear this message today and hear this point and to not only make things right with God, and God gives us that opportunity every day because he is a God of grace, to make things right with God and to quit putting on inauthentic selfie pose, but we also maybe need to make things right with some of the people that we hurt. And don't be too proud to understand that sin does have a payday. It's a sobering thought. I don't want to leave you with just that thought because there's another thought that we can learn from this particular story. And if I were to subtitle this point, it would be God is like Siri. How many of you have an iPhone or a GPS? Yeah? Or a smartphone if you have a GPS on. A lot of you hands out there. Now, I love my iPhone. This is like my friend. I listen to books on it so I sleep with it at night. I'm not kidding. It's a sad thing, but it's true. <laughs> and I love to talk to Siri because she's this little voice, and I can press this home button right here, and I can say, hey, Siri, and I can tell her to do some stuff for me. I can ask her questions of different things. I can have her open up apps so that I don't have to go to all of the trouble of swiping the screen and opening up myself. <laughs> but I also love to ask her for directions because I am hopelessly directionally challenged. I mean, even with the GPS, I get lost. It's a very sad fact of my life. I was hoping that it would change at some point, but at 48 years old, I think it's probably not going to change that much. No, I have any <laughs> in the mountains, yes, I did get lost, and I had to be search and rescue. 
by the signs that go this way on the field. Yep, that's what happened. <laughs> but you know, I say that God is like Siri because one of the things, you can go ahead and move to the next slide. One of, one, of, one of the things about Siri is that Siri, if you tell her, okay, Siri, I want to go home, and I've already plugged in my home address, so it knows home. I don't even have to plug in my address. She knows where my home is. If I say, hey, Siri, I really want to go home, get me directions home, Siri will get me directions to my house, and she will get me the quickest directions to my home. And it's really, really cool because she's right. She gets me there every time. You know, like I said, I'm hopelessly directionally challenged. And sometimes I'll get to a fork in the road, and I'll think she means one thing, and I will head the other way. And I'll make a wrong turn in spite of Miss Siri telling me what to do. And she's got a very persistent voice. And I think she keeps the same tone all the time, but in my mind, she gets a little aggravated. <laughs> and it seems like her tone seems to escalate just a little bit. And, 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 and I'll, I'll make a wrong turn, and she'll say, make a U-turn. And then I'll go two more feet, and she'll say, make a U-turn. And I'll go five more feet, and she'll say, make a U-turn. And she doesn't quit telling me to make a U-turn. Because she knows that I'm going the wrong direction. Now, eventually, if I keep going, which I have done this many times before, I admit, I confess, this is one of my issues. She eventually puts up this neat little sign that says, rerouting. And she'll completely reroute me and find a completely new route because I have gone so far I can't even make a U-turn at this point. But the cool thing about Siri is she doesn't change the direction of where I'm supposed to go. She is still trying to get me home, but she's trying to find alternate routes to get me where I'm supposed to go. And she never changes that destination. In fact, I've never tried this experiment before. I haven't gotten this far out of the way. But I, if, if I keep this thing plugged in and if I keep her going, I could go 2,000 miles out of my way and end up somewhere near California, and Siri would still continue rerouting me and trying to U-turn me and trying to take me home because that's her job. She's got a destination in mind, and she's going to take me home. You see where I'm going with this? You see, Jacob made a lot of wrong turns. He made a lot of wrong turns, and he found himself in a foreign land living with the consequences of his sin. But before he was born, his father, it was declared to his father and his mother that he was going to carry on his father's line, and he was going to be the child of promise. Some of the wrong turns included Jacob, and even his mom trying to help God out and trying to trick his way into things that he was supposed to be doing. Do you think that Jacob could have become the child of promise if he had not tricked his brother Esau with that ball of soup? Do you think that a lot of good things would happen in his life, just like God promised him, if Jacob hadn't made those wrong turns? Sure they would. And you know, last week whenever we saw Jacob on the bed of stone it was so beautifully illustrated here in front of us, God actually met Jacob there and God gave this promise to Jacob. He said to him in a dream that he had that night as he laid his head on the stone, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out the west, over to the west and the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In this story, we find that Jacob lost track of that promise. But the good news of Jacob's life, and the good news for your life, is God will not relent. He will 
will not give up. He will not give up, up on you no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done. He will continue putting U-turn and rerouting signals in your life. But his destination for Jacob, his destination for you has never changed. God said that, amen. God said in his word, he is not willing that any should perish. That means he wants you in heaven with him no matter how many rerouting steps it takes. He wants you to be with him because he loves you and he cares about you. And into your very dying breath, he's not going to relent. He wants you with him. The scripture says in Jeremiah that he has plans for you, not to harm you, but for hope and for a future. God will not relent. God will not relent. I love that scripture that says that his gifts and his callings are without repentance. That means that God has put plans in your life. He's put callings. If he put gifts in your life, he's not going to give up on that. He's not going to repent and say, hey, take back. With God, there is no take backs. Yes, you can make the wrong path. You can make your life so much harder than it needs to be because sin does have a payday. And God grieves that you have to pay that payday. But his gifts and callings are without repentance. And I just feel in my heart that God has spoken to some of you, uh, Satan has spoken to some of your hearts and told you it's too late, you messed up, you may go to heaven, but that's about it, because you're just going to squeak in underneath the wire. God's gifts and his callings and his plans for your life, just like Jacob's life without repentance. We say that when the Bible talks about his people, they said that, that, that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's gifts and callings are without repentance. God's like Sarah, he's going to keep rerouting you. He has plans for your life. And if it takes him to your last night breath, he's going to continue calling you. Just like he called Jacob. God cares about your journey. And he wants to make it easier. He's given us his scripture. He's given us his word to show you how to live. So that your life can be followed on a path that you don't have to reroute all the time. And he does care about that. But I think ultimately, you know, if we look at the scripture, if we look at the Bible, God is not just the God of the journey, but ultimately he's the God of the destination. And he cares about your destination more than anything. And he wants you to be with him. And he wants to make your life do everything it can do. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, God is with you and he's calling you here today. Maybe he's calling you to make some amends. Maybe he's calling you to say, hey, get on the path with me. Maybe he's calling you to say, don't be discouraged. I know you've made some wrong turns in life. That's okay. I'm here. I'm going to reroute you. I'm going to take you where you need to go. Just put your hand in my hand. That's what God is asking you to do today. And I'm so thankful that God is the God of the journey. And God will not relent. Our praise team is going to be singing, He Won't Relent. I would love if you just take a moment and close your eyes and consider the scripture today. Consider if the Lord might be saying something to your heart today. And then we'll take a few moments to just pray.